0: Welcome back to So Money, everyone. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Happy Friday. It's Friday, Ask Farnoosh time. And really happy that you decided to join us again. I love these Friday episodes. It's really a nice chance to, you know, Change the pace a little bit, get to hear what you're thinking, what is on your money mind. I always pick my guest's brain, now I'm picking your brain, you're picking my brain. It's great. And as always, we have Sophia with us to help us get through these questions, which a lot of you are sending in via audio, as well as the traditional route, which is to type in your questions by going to somoneypodcast.com and clicking on Ask Farnoosh. Sophia, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. It's February seventeenth. I'm still pregnant, and <laughs> which is a good thing. But every day, literally, somebody asks me, "Are you due? Like today?" Or <laughs> and I've had multiple people ask me if I'm having twins. So you know, for those of you who don't know what I look like right now, that's hopefully painting some illustration. Um, and I feel it. I really feel ready. But I mean, obviously, you want to. Get your baby to come out when she's ready. You don't want to push things. And um, March seventh, March seventh is the day. So we have a few more weeks, I guess. In the meantime, this was my birthday week, and I'm recording this ahead of time, so I don't really know how my birthday week actually went. <laughs> <laughs> I hope it was good. I hope it was a lot of carb loading. And I always indulge in my birthday. Like I, I, I of course, like I eat the cake and the cupcake and the donuts. In fact, last time I was pregnant. I went in for my sugar test right after my birthday and I, I failed the, the sugar <laughs> test, which and then I had to go and take like the ultra sugar test, which to find out if I had, you know, diabetes, which I didn't, thank God. But TMI, let's <laughs> move on. This week also is uh, the week of lovebirds, Valentine's Day, February 14th. Again, we're recording this before Valentine's Day, but I have to ask you, Sophia, what's your tradition in your in your relationship? You've been with your man for
1: a long time. Yeah, we've been together. We're coming on six, no, seven years, something like that. Oh my goodness. But we usually just go to dinner and a movie, very low key. I've noticed this year, just in doing some research ahead of time, that restaurants are starting to charge these insane amounts of money for prefixes. So we're just going to do something, I think, in our neighborhood, very low key, very... you know, Have a nice time, of course, and enjoy ourselves. But within reason. So that's usually what we tend to do. The Valentine's Day markup. <laughs> yes. Roses, chocolates,
0: restaurants, they get you. It's one of those things where you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. You definitely. Know? <laughs> definitely. I feel that for the guys. I really do. Because it's, <laughs> like, it's like, are you really going to come home without flowers? I guess you could. But then part of... I don't know. It's, it's, it's all about what you decide in your relationship. And if you're talking about it and you're open to it, Tim and I, we, I think we decided early on that we were just going to be also very low key, you know, also because I wanted to give him a break. <laughs> My birthday's the next day, so I don't need to give him double the pressure, but it sometimes it's nice to see your man sweat.
1: Of course. Well, I was going to say, you know, I mean, I'm lucky Paul always treats me to dinner. He's, you know, I mean, I always offer, but he's, I would say he pays a little bit more than I do. So I've told him before the same thing. I'm like, I don't need all of the fancy stuff. And I'm actually a pretty easy girl. I don't even really like roses. So I'm like, you can get me a different type of flower if you want. <laughs> you're a cheap <laughs> so, date. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. So, he, uh, <laughs> so he has a pretty easy, I think. <laughs> awesome. Cool, okay And then later this
0: month Is going to be the Oscars Which I know I, I suspect that La La Land Is going to be getting A lot of the Oscar nominations They swept At the Golden Globes And how'd they do at the SAG Awards Did they do pretty well?
1: They did But you know I was happy to see I mean I really liked La La Land But I was happy to see Some other films Gain recognition I know Denzel won For his performance In Fences Beating out Ryan Gosling Which I think That was pretty great And um, I know The movie Hidden Figures, one for Best Cast in a Motion Picture, which again was just really nice to see some of those other films get recognized because at the end of the day they're all great. I mean, it's so difficult to choose just one, so you know it's nice. And,
0: yeah, and you get to see how the industry, depending on what the who the voting crowd is, like what they preferred. So yes, with definitely, I think that's yeah. really interesting. So the Golden Globes. It was sort of the, uh, the Hollywood Foreign Press, which I think Hollywood Foreign Press and the Oscars love movies about themselves. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so if you do a... Sh- La La Land swept. I mean, it was a great film. I didn't really understand all the hype. Honestly, shoot me for it if you think I'm crazy, but I just didn't think it was as... I mean, 14 Golden Globe nominations, that's as much as Titanic, <laughs> I think. I mean, not that Titanic was like Titanic was an amazing film. I mean, say what you will about just how long it took to take and the theme song, (laughs) but it was at the time like an incredible movie of our time. I don't know if like La La Land was like an incredible movie of our time. You know, it was definitely for me. I mean, that's just my opinion. But anyway. That is not a financial topic. <laughs> so let's move on. Let's talk about money. Let's talk about what's on people's money minds. I hear we have a question here from Stacy, who is thinking about
1: consolidating her credit card debt. Yeah, so she reduced her debt from 55000 to 39000 in the last two years. And now she wants to consider a credit card consolidation loan, and she's wondering if it will affect her credit score or her credit utilization percentage. There will be a large monthly payment of 500 and so she's wondering if she should stay the course with her debt snowball method or try that consolidation loan.
0: Well, I'm going to take her word for this, and it's, she's calling this a credit card consolidation loan. and. Usually what happens with card consolidation loans is that you take out this loan, you apply for it, you take it out, then you use the loan to pay off your credit cards, so those basically go to zero, and now you have this loan to pay back and sometimes the loan is more beneficial because it's a maybe a lower interest rate, it's one payment instead of two, so it's easier to track. So those are the pros. Things to keep in mind though, if she's concerned about her credit score throughout this process, one is that when she applies for this loan, inevitably the lender will have to check her credit, right? So that's going to require a hard inquiry. And it does typically take off a couple of points, a few points off your credit score. The good news about all these hard inquiries that we accumulate is that they uh, only have an impact for a year. They stay on your credit report for two years, but the impact really is mostly in that first year, and it's not so significant if we're just talking about one lender looking at your credit. If we're talking about multiple lenders in a short period of time, you're shopping around for different credit cards, that could potentially have a bigger impact, negative impact on your score. So just FYI, that will be one thing that may reduce her score, not significantly, but it is what it is. The other thing that she wants to be mindful of is when she uses this consolidation loan to pay off the other two credit cards. On the one hand, it's taking her basically utilization on those cards to zero, which is great. It will raise her credit score because the lower your utilization, the higher your credit score. You just want to be sure that those credit cards do not get shut off because if they get shut off, then that credit history on those cards basically does not factor into your credit score. It It falls off your credit report eventually, and it won't have the same benefit. So it's important that she understands the process. So go back to the lender who's offering her this consolidation loan and ask them very specifically, what is your process? How does this impact my credit score, my credit? What kind of communication do you have with my credit card companies? Like Sometimes they will offer to kind of be the facilitator in paying off your debt, which is nice and convenient, but you want to understand how this is all getting worked out. And she's good to ask this question because within the process, there might be some steps that would negatively impact your score. Mainly it's that you don't want those credit cards that you currently have to get shut off because you don't want to lose that 0% utilization rate. And it's a loan that you're taking out, which, you know, it's a loan, it's not a credit card. And so there's no quote unquote, you know, credit limit on that loan. It just is a, a loan and it does impact your credit. It won't negatively impact your credit. As long as you're paying that loan back well and in good time, you're paying your monthly minimums. You're never late. That will all be good for your credit. So hopefully that answers your question. And we have a question here from Bakari who's talking about, mutual funds
1: versus index funds. Yeah, so he has 21,000 that's invested in four different mutual funds right now, and he says that his goal for this money is to increase his present day wealth, but he's also curious about index funds and he wants to know, do you think he should modify his strategy with index funds and if so, where does he find more info about index funds and where does he get started?
0: Well, generally speaking, index funds do carry lower fees than mutual funds. So first step is to look at what are the expense ratios on those four mutual funds that you have, Bakari? Are they over 1%? I would start to worry if they're over one, one and a half percent, because you can certainly find something that's more affordable, that has perhaps the same kind of investment mix or maybe investment theme. So looking at index funds to compare kind of as much as you can apples to apples, Keeping in mind you want to pay fewer fees is important. And I know this is money that you want to maybe use in your current life. You don't want to This isn't necessarily your retirement account, but fees are fees and they add up. Whether you're going to take that money out today, in 10 years, in 30 years, why pay more? Where you can learn more about index funds, lots of places. Morningstar.com is a great website that actually rates funds. With showing all their history. Yahoo Finance actually has great historical information on all types of stocks and funds. And then, wherever you are currently investing, wherever you're currently getting those mutual funds, they probably also have, hopefully, an offering of index funds. So you can talk to someone there, whether it's at an online brokerage or a traditional brick and mortar brokerage they could help to give you some background information and some fee information on all these different investments. So, I'm happy that you're looking at index funds. I think a couple episodes ago we did talk to another listener who was interested in investing, where to get started. And so, clearly this is something that despite a lot of the uncertainty in the market these days, people are looking ahead and being smart and they want to invest their money and that's
1: that's always a good thing. Trina yeah, on so Tr- Trina's money mind. <laughs> so Trina right now is debating on whether to refinance or take out a home equity line of credit. She owns a home that she thinks has a considerable amount of equity. She estimates anywhere from twenty to forty thousand and right now she has 130,000 in student loans and 65,000 of that is private loans that have a high interest rate of 7 to 10% and then the remaining loans are federal and under income-based repayment and those will be forgiven in 8 years she makes 40000 annually right now, and she's saving for retirement and her emergency fund. But the loan payments, which are $900 a month, are really hard for her. So she thinks it would be beneficial to pay off some of these loans by leveraging her home, but she's not sure what the best course of action is.
0: All right. HELOC versus refinancing her mortgage. And she's got a lot in student loans. All right. If I was her and I'm starting from scratch... I would first get my apartment or my house appraised. Like what is actually the appraisal and what is actually the appraisal value? A lot of times when you enter a refi or a HELOC, they will issue that. But if you could somehow get more accurate, because 20 to 40 is a pretty big range. She's like, oh, it could be 20,000, it could be 40,000. So first things is, you know, just really understand what your equity really is And then just some differences between HELOCs and getting a refinancing your mortgage. So when you refinance your mortgage, you're essentially taking out a new loan, paying off your old mortgage with that new loan, and then paying the new loan. The new loan usually comes with a lower interest rate. That's why we refinance in the first place, because we want to get a lower interest rate. And now's a good time to do that. If you got this mortgage several years ago... Maybe you can find a loan with a lower interest right now, and that could save you a lot of money month to month, year over year, and that's great. There are also closing costs with refinancing, which can be hefty. So you want to inform yourself on what those costs would be. Shop around, maybe working with a mortgage broker, if you go that route, would be a smart idea because they can kind of lay everything out for you, do the research, and give you the recommendations. A HELOC is essentially where you take the equity that's been built up in your home and convert that into a loan. But keep in mind that HELOCs, when you go to a bank for a HELOC, the bank is not gonna give you 100% of your equity. That's very rare. I don't know if that ever happens. They may give you 75%, 80% of that equity. So if she's estimating that at the best case scenario, she has 40,000 in equity, she may only get a loan, a HELOC, that is around $30,000. Uh, which is still significant, but would she rather have that $30,000 or would she rather have a refinanced mortgage where over the, you know, however more many more years she's in the house, she might be able to save more money. Who knows? She'll have to do that math. And also we have this issue of the student loans where I see that 65,000 are in private loans, which I would say are the more serious, more, uh, they have to. They would take precedence because she's got some of the remaining loans under an income-based repayment. They're going to be forgiven in eight years. That seems like it's taken care of. But sixty-five thousand in private loans. I mean, maybe taking out the HELOC and killing half of that private loan would be meaningful. Would be really game-changing. But just keep in mind, with a the HELOC, there are also closing costs. Usually not as significant as refinancing a mortgage, but closing costs nonetheless. Sometimes you can bake those into the loan so that you don't have to pay them out of pocket. So that's that's good. And then the other thing you want to ask the bank when you enter a HELOC, or you're about to enter a HELOC, ask about not only the closing costs, but the repayment period. So let's say they give you $30,000, and that's tied to your house, tied to your equity. You use it to start to pay off that private loan. Can you do it all in one lump sum? Is there a maximum, a minimum that you can withdraw? And then there's usually a time frame during which you must withdraw all that money sometimes so just know what the fine print is and then also ask about the repayment period so once you've withdrawn the money at what point are they going to start sending you a bill to pay back the loan essentially so just know all of these things take out a spreadsheet start writing things down take notes try to just you know do the math at first and also figure out I guess if, if your goal here is to really alleviate these student loans, which route would be the most effective? And by effective, that means which route's going to give you the most money and give you the most flexibility and allow you to get out of that debt faster. My guess is probably the HELOC, but then you got to really know what you're getting yourself into. This is a very good question. I think if we had more time, some more numbers could probably hash this out for her a little more definitively, but I think that in any case, she's going to have to do this research. She hasn't really gotten so far with it, but it's a good question. So let us know next time. Send us a question or an update, like, where are you in the process? What have you learned? Because that would be great. I think that would be helpful for all of us to follow your journey in this, because it is sometimes a very popular way to pay off your student loans, to kind of look at your house as a source of, of money to pay off those loans. And in fact... Sidebar, SoFi actually just came out with a loan product that might be of interest to you, Trina. They came out with a product that basically is its a loan that's tied to the equity of your home to help pay off your student loans. So it's kind of a HELOC. I'm not explaining it in too much detail because I don't know 100% about it, but go to SoFi.com and look it up. That could be another thing to explore as you're weighing your choices here. And then did she say how long she's planning to live in the house? So she does say that she plans to live there for at least another five to 10 years. That's good because if she chooses to refinance, she wants to give herself time to basically live in the home and given that she will have closing costs for this refi, it's going to take time to pay off the closing costs in the form of savings that she's getting every month with the reduced interest rate before she breaks even and then actually starts making money. So, usually we say three to five years is at minimum how long you want to see yourself still living in the home in order for a refi to make sense. So, that's good to know. Okay. So, I still think it's going to be the HELOC, but I'd be curious to see what she ends up doing. And then we have a question from an anonymous listener.
1: Yes. So, we know it's a female because she did share her name with us, but she asked for it to be anonymous on air. And... This person recently accepted a job where she can live rent-free in exchange for managing the property that she's living on. It's in San Francisco, and now she's trying to decide what the best thing to do is since she's saving on rent. Should she use the savings to build a six-month emergency fund or use it to tackle her student loan debt? She has $100,000 in student loans at the moment.
0: All right. So... Six figures in student loans. Congrats on scoring a rental deal. Quite the rental deal in San Francisco, where I know even if you have money, it's impossible to find inventory in the Bay Area right now. It's just one of the tightest, if not the tightest, rental market in the country. People are living in their cars or sleeping on couches until they find something. And I understand from friends who've moved out there that there's no point in trying to plan your move. Like you just have to go there (laughs) and try to find a last minute rental because things just go so quickly. You're not going to find something two months in advance, which for me, I could
1: not do. Could you do, I mean, come on, Sophia, like really? No, Can we I'm do that? such a planner. I'm such a planner. And actually a girlfriend of mine just moved to San Francisco and had the same situation. I mean, she was really getting nervous and cutting it down to the wire, but then she ended up just um, kind of moving in with her boyfriend when she got there. And and just deciding from there whether they were going to stay that way or she was going to eventually just keep looking once she was physically there because looking from New York and trying to plan in advance was just not happening. Yeah. I mean, come on. So
0: my advice is to save for savings. If you don't have any savings, you should prioritize that. And hopefully without the need to pay rent that, I don't know what, she was willing to put towards rent, but maybe at least 1000 to $2,000 a month. Imagine you're still paying rent and put that in a, an emergency account, a savings account, any kind of liquid bank account, online, brick and mortar, wherever she wants to put it, except not under your mattress, just put it actually in a bank. And once you get to about six months savings, which would include rent too, like don't assume that, you know, This is money that you're gonna have to want to tap when you're still living rent-free. This is an emergency account. So what if you had to suddenly move out of your place and start paying rent on your own? So be conservative with this six-month reserve. And then hopefully, you know, within the year, she'll have that she'll have that saved because that's a lot of money. I mean, if you're saving basically 30, 40, 50% of your paycheck because you're not paying rent, you're gonna hopefully stack up that savings soon, fast, much faster than if you are paying rent obviously. So, be aggressive with that and hopefully in the same year, hopefully in this this 20 this calendar year, you can actually start to use some of that savings from not paying rent to pay down your student loan. And the key there of course is to make sure you're paying all the minimums all the while But when you have extra money to put towards the loan, you put it directly towards the principal. So you'll be chopping down that loan balance a lot faster as opposed to a combination of principal and interest. And we're talking here just specifically with that extra payment, extra payment going towards principal. Lucky anonymous.
1: Don't we all wish we had a gig like that? But then she does have to manage the property. But it's a pretty good gig. I mean, I would help manage a property for free living expenses. Would? I think I would.
0: <laughs> it would depend on the job description, right? Like what am I yeah, doing? Yeah,
1: a little bit. I mean, I'm not very handy, so if I had to do something quite handy, but if it's more just like watering plants, I would even offer to pet sit if the person had pets living on the property. But there would be a few stipulations. But I think I would do it.
0: I think it's gonna be more than pet sitting and watering plants, Sophia. <laughs> I think it's gonna be like you know, you're basically running the house. Like that person probably isn't living there that owns it. So you have to like deal with all the plumbing issues that might come up or the fridge breaks. You know, it's like all that.
1: You're basically the homeowner. That's true. That's true.
0: Well, in any case, it's going to save her a boatload. And we hope that next time she writes in, she'll tell us how much uh, richer she is.
1: (laughs) So we're at the end and we actually have a success story that's coming in from one of your listeners, Dylan and she wants to let you know that almost a year ago she reached out with her when her salary was 39,000 and then she wrote in again and she got a promotion and it was all thanks to your advice She was able to put her salary at $47,000. And recently, she was offered a new job and a $70,000 salary. And she says, the best part of it is that my new job is the job that I've been working towards for years now. So it's directly meeting my career goals and not just a job that you take for the money. I attribute being able to almost double my salary in under a year to the inspiration and learnings from this show. Starting my morning off with so many helps me lean in all day long. Sounds cheesy, but it's true.
0: Oh, that's so sweet and
1: so awesome. She's doubled her salary. Amazing. I will
0: only take 10% of that. So <laughs> <laughs> you can mail them the check. Sophia will be in touch to let you know where to... Direct deposit that. No, I'm just kidding. This is such great news. And, you know, we talk a lot about New Year's resolutions and how we're so poor at them and how, you know, by this time, we're forget it. Like, third week of January, it's over. But by February, you've already probably gotten back to your old habits. But sounds like she has been really sticking to her guns and has inspired all of us to go out there and just ask for more people. Just ask for it. I just was helping actually a friend who is up for a job and she hasn't negotiated in like nine years. I don't even think she negotiated when she first got her first job and stayed at the job for nine years. And now she's finally ready to move on. And it's like dating, like you haven't dated in nine years, you know, like what's the etiquette? How do I ask? How do do I like, what, you know, do we kiss on the first date? Do I ask for money at the first meeting? There's some parallels I find. I'm still waiting to hear whether she got the job and whether she got the bump in the salary that she wanted, but I will keep you guys posted. I'm hoping, crossing my fingers. My advice to her was try not to show. If they ask you what you want to make, flip it and say, "Well, I would love to learn first. You know what the range is for this job and what your what your budget is for this position. There's no harm in kind of." dancing around it. You don't want to always be the first person to show your numbers. But if you do have to, you feel very hard pressed to do that. Maybe it's late in the the interviewing game and you just want to kind of start the conversation already. You could present your salary, but I told her to make sure to also include kind of factor in her benefits, like her time off, her, um, you know, whatever other bonuses, pay raises that she gets, And you can say something like, you know, I make roughly X and it's maybe more than what your take home paycheck says, but it is, you know, at the end of the day, uh, perhaps more involved, you know, that you've got all these other things going on. So, and then from there, have in your mind a figure that you absolutely need to make in order to unequivocally go back to your current employer and tell them goodbye, no negotiating. And whatever that number is, add like 20% to it when you're negotiating so that the prospective employer obviously will want to negotiate with you. So you're leaving some wiggle room there. And hopefully you'll finally get to your target figure, maybe a little bit higher. So we'll see what goes on with that. Waiting to hear. In the meantime, thanks for the update. And thanks, Sophia, for fielding us through these questions. Of course. It was great to end the episode on a high note. Totally, keep them coming. And for those of you who want to give us feedback, certainly you can write into the show, and we'll, you know, we'll totally brag about you. But also cool is if you wanted to leave us an iTunes review. I mean, if this show is actually helping you make more money in your life, save more, just feel more financially equipped, then um, let the world know in a big way by going to iTunes and leaving a review. Because that keeps the show in the spotlight. iTunes likes to see shows that get reviews, keeps them in the wheel at the front center of the kind of podcast homepage. So we like that because that brings in new listeners and just keeps the show going. So thanks for your help, everybody. And I hope your weekend is so money.